0: This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton and
1: WNBF.com.
2: Where news breaks
3: first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF News. Rain today, high near 50. Tonight, chance of showers, cloudy, then gradually becoming partly cloudy, low around 32 mostly sunny Tuesday with a high near 46. Traffic was snarled on a busy Binghamton roadway following a crash involving a box truck and two cars. A small Honda sedan went airborne and sideswiped another car after it was rear-ended by a truck at the intersection of Brandywine Highway and Frederick Street. The crash occurred around 2.15 p.m. on Friday. The 2013 Honda struck a tall metal utility pole before landing in a brush covered area off the highway near a business parking lot. The car came to rest wedged between a fence and a guardrail. A man who reportedly had been in the Honda was evaluated by Binghamton fire medics for minor injuries. Two women who were in the other car that was struck told WNBF News they were not hurt. They said they were on heading out of Binghamton to attend a wedding in the Pittsburgh area. The women said the box truck had been traveling at a high rate of speed when it slammed into the Honda, which was stopped for a red light. The rider rental truck bore the markings of Goodness Gardens, a business based in Orange County. The truck driver was uninjured. Northbound traffic on the Brandywine heading out of downtown Binghamton was slowed to a crawl due to the crash. Cornell University administrators have dispatched campus police to a Jewish center after threatening statements against Jewish students appeared on a discussion board. Cornell President Martha Pollack said there were a series of horrendous anti-Semitic messages on Sunday threatening violence against the university's Jewish community on a website unaffiliated with the school in Ithaca and specifically naming the address of the Center for Jewish Living. The Cornell University Police Department is investigating and has notified the FBI of a potential hate crime. New York Governor Kathy Hochul says authorities were not sure if the threats were credible, but state police are taking steps to ensure student safety. New York City is intensifying efforts to transport migrants out of the city as its shelter system reaches capacity. City Hall confirmed the establishment of a new re-ticketing center in Manhattan where asylum seekers can get free one-way tickets to anywhere in the world. The effort is the city's latest bid to ease pressure on its shelters and finances following the arrival of more than 130,000 asylum seekers since last year. Democratic Mayor Eric Adams has begun to warn that shelters are so full that migrants will soon be forced onto the street as winter approaches. Tent Manufacturing Operations said a Broom County production facility could expand significantly as a new owner of the business plans for growth Record Group acquired the Eureka military and commercial tent units in Conklin from Johnson Outdoors early this year. The Event Tent Party line by Eureka is now being marketed by Intentional Systems. Carol Cundy, senior sales and marketing manager, said about 90 people are working at the Conklin Road operation. She said the company is adding positions as they grow and evolve. Kundi says the goal of the new owners is to at least double the number of employees at the local facility over the next two or three years. She said the owners are committed to maintaining the manufacturing operation in Conklin. Cundy said the plan is to expand locally as the business grows. Many of the people employed at the production facility have worked at the plant just east of Binghamton for decades. The site at 625 Conklin Road was home to the Eureka Camping Center retail store for more than half a century. The shop that sold tents and other outdoor outdoor gear was closed three years ago. New York State Police are conducting impaired driving and underage drinking initiatives through Wednesday, funded by the Governor's Traffic Safety Committee. New York State Police note that Halloween can be a great family fun, but it can also be deadly when someone makes the wrong decision to drink and drive. Troopers will be highly visible throughout the Halloween weekend, looking for impaired and reckless drivers. Drivers should exercise extreme caution, especially on the local roads, as children and their parents will be out enjoying the weekend festivities. Motorists can expect a number of sobriety checkpoints and additional DWI patrols. Law enforcement will also be looking for motorists who are using their phones and other electronic devices while behind the wheel. Drivers should also remember to move over for stopped emergency and hazard vehicles stopped on the side of the road. New York State Police will also be targeting the illegal sale of alcohol to minors through underage drinker enforcement details statewide. Troopers will be using both Mark State Police vehicles and concealed identity traffic enforcement vehicles as part of this crackdown in order to more easily identify motorists who are violating the law. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF.
0: Joseph, this is Binghamton Now for Monday, October 30th, 2023. Phone lines are now open. If you have contributions to make to our program, let it begin. 607-772-1290. Dial carefully and be prepared to express yourself clearly, concisely, and also... Don't be surprised if I have a few questions. I typically do have a few questions. If you uh, like to entertain some thoughts and then allow me to ask some follow-up questions, by all means, join us. On this Monday morning... We start off a brand new week. Hope you were able to enjoy your weekend. I wouldn't say it was one of the more stellar Sundays in terms of weather, but Saturday was stellar. That's what happens this time of year, transitional weekends. I've seen it happen so often. Weekend starts off nice. It's beautiful, almost summer-like weather. And then, before you know it, (laughs) we've transitioned over to eh, not so good. Anyway, this is a transitional week. Hope you enjoyed last week's weather because this week's weather is different. And coming up today on WNBF, we'll give you all the relevant news from around the Twin Tiers and around the world. Remember, this program is on till noon. They have allotted me three hours, three hours to cover the Twin Tiers and the world. So let's see what we can accomplish. Let's go directly to the phones at 913. Good morning, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from?
1: My name is Joe, and I'm calling from Binghamton, New York. What's on your mind? Good morning. I was curious if if there might be any chance that the Endicott IBM Museum, that they might be closing that because of the association with the Holocaust and the Jews um, being uh, put together, you kind of say, with a from the holler machine i think it was the tabulating machine and uh part of that uh happened during world war ii
0: no there's no chance
1: no chance at all
0: where what gave okay. you the impression that there might be a chance that's why the ibm well, endicott exhibit is uh, is supposed to be taken back by by the corporation we're where did you hear that, or are you just is this just no, speculation?
1: It was just, thought, it was just a thought process because of what happened back a couple of weeks ago over in Israel, and uh, I just thought maybe. Um, why would they
0: have waited? The why would they have waited several decades? First okay, of all, what what, what happened we're... what happened decades ago had nothing to do with what happened three weeks ago in Israel. So, I guess my question is, why this was under discussion? According to board members, well before what transpired on October seventh with the attack on israel so no okay. i i can I say thought- I can say with um pretty strong assurance nobody nobody I've spoken to has even hinted that that's a possible reason
1: okay, I just thought maybe with the association where they keep saying on the radio and t v that it was the the largest um uh, attack against Jewish people since the Holocaust. And I, my thought process was that maybe um, the, the the museum didn't want to draw any attention to itself. You know, sometimes like the the statues that are being taken down across the country, you know, for things that happened a long time ago, um, but maybe that they decided that this was time to take down the, you know, parts of the museum or all the museum for, you know, that it happened
0: a long time ago. Yeah, it makes with IBM. It, it maybe maybe if that had been under discussion over the last, oh, I don't know, ten or twenty years, it would make sense. If that was a concern, uh, going back to when IBM basically left Endicott, not completely, but basically in 2002, when the company sold all of its property, the 65 acres, and then ultimately. Um decided to keep the IBM endicott museum in the village if that was a discussion, I never heard anybody discuss that around here about, right. about, a, about yeah yeah you you 're the first person to bring it up i 'm not saying it shouldn't be discussed i'm saying it's okay. it's interesting after decades of ibm 's presence in endicott that you 're the first person to bring up that maybe maybe the um the people in charge of the museum at 40 washington avenue didn't want any any of uh, the company's equipment to be there
1: yeah i know that across uh you know certain parts well majority of the country there's in the barnes and nobles were carrying a, a book and a cd set that went hand in hand with what happened uh with ibm and the holocaust and that um the local one here in Vestal would not carry it. Well I can't speak to that.
0: I don't know why they wouldn't. It it seems yeah, I, seems to me I, I, that, that the book and I believe we interviewed the author of the book on this program right here in this studio. I can't understand yeah. why Barnes and Noble wouldn't wouldn't carry a book of that nature in Vestal so people in Endicott and Broome County can read uh about the history, one one element of IBM's history that many people don't know about.
1: Right. Well, I appreciate you taking my call. and I just thought I would,
0: you know. All right. Well, just- uh, we're still waiting, by the way, to hear from Ted Warner, the president of the museum. And if he calls in today, if I think of it, I'll ask him about that. Because of all the things that I have been thinking about since last week about the potential loss of all those IBM machines and artifacts from the 20th century in Endicott, this had not crossed my mind. So I'll I'll see. Yeah. And by the way, so I'll sometimes ask-
1: There's just that one thing, right? That one thing that we don't, that doesn't cross our mind. It could be- Well, could, it could be. be could not be. It's just maybe, or or
0: maybe, right? maybe now they'll use that as an excuse. Even if it, you know, if here's the thing, I've talked with board members and others familiar with this process and nobody brought it up, but now maybe that will be the, um, the reason that'll be given because now that maybe that'll prove popular. I appreciate your call. And if anybody knows more about what is going on with the IBM Endicott collection, as they say, the story behind the story, the rest of the story, I'm sure we don't know the half of it. And what we need now, at this point, are people who know the reason why. Ted Warner, the president of the museum, other board members who ostensibly support getting rid of the IBM Endicott collection at 40 Washington Avenue. I think now is the time for explanations to be broadcast here on WNBF. It's 919. Hi, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from?
2: Rainy days and Mondays always get me down, Bob. Yeah, hey, you and uh, you, Richard and Karen. Yeah, right. Hey, how's it going? It's Dave from Vessel, by the way, Bob. How's it going?
0: Well, it's a Monday. I, I'll. Uh, right. We unfortunately we we will have news to report today, and it's not all good. But you know, it's the start of another week, and we're committed to telling telling the facts as we know them.
2: Right. Hey, I, I want to ask you about, it. have you noticed the? I think it's a U-Haul, a rental, a box truck, plastered with advertisement going all over Vestal. Have you have you seen that? Saying if you want change in, in Vestal government, uh, vote November 7th. Have you noticed that or no?
0: No, I was just in Vestal. No. I didn't see it.
2: Where? No, it's been, it's been dry all Where? over Vestal. Yeah, this all morning? Way, down the parkway. I no, saw it down I, the parkway. This morning? Uh, no, not this morning. I saw it Friday.
0: Oh, okay. I, I drove through Festival mm-hmm. this morning, didn't see it.
2: No, but but anyways, Bob, I I wanted to talk about that. You know, I I know I rail on the Democrats, but I will cross party lines. And that Maria Sexton has me very interested, Bob. I've been paying attention to her. And she seems genuine. And two main things, Bob. She She promises to do a, a deep dive into the budget, open it up to the public, uh, she seems like she'd open you and other reporters in the public with welcome arms to her meetings. She seems that way. And also she's willing to address the uh property assessment insanity we have over here. Those two things are very important to me. I'd like to know what's going on. She seems like she's willing to let us all know about. It. Now, that's big.
0: That, big if true, as they say. Big if true.
2: B-I-T That's true Right Hey Also it's one more thing Bob Did you watch 60 Minutes last night? Did you catch our, our No I can't, I can't I can't
0: watch that That program Anymore Because no? uh, You know It's It's no longer It's no longer the 60 Minutes When I was growing up It was on the Cutting edge of journalism Now it seems to be um, A strange mishmash Of promotional Segments And And Um Correspondents who are how can I put this gently phoning it in. You see what I'm saying? They they hand the correspondent a stack of five by seven cards and then set the correspondent in a chair and then the interview subject in another chair and then they roll tape and and then the correspondent asks the questions that were written by an associate producer and then after the response she says Wow
2: you know. Bob, you know, there was one part in in this interview where (laughs) Who
0: who was interviewed?
2: um, Kamala Harris
0: Kamala Harris was on the 60-minute show? I didn't know
2: That's why I watched it Oh, well,
0: if I had known, I would have watched it Who did the interview?
2: Um, that guy, I forget his name. That, um, <laughs> that
0: doesn't help me. That um, guy, I forget his name. Well, come on. I, I mean, I it makes a difference who did the interview. Was it Dr. Sanjay the... Gupta? No, 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 no. no. Well, who a... do you think it was? I don't know what, think, what his name think was. man, think.
2: I, I, I don't pay attention. He had dirty, blondish, grayish hair. Well, his name. So don't they all?
0: Anyway, anyway. anyway so what? Anyway. What was the high point of the uh, sixty-minute interview?
2: Well, for me, this was my high point when when he asked her, um, "Why do you think your polling is so low? You and the president's polling so low?" She goes, "Look," she goes, "We have provided the American people with many things that they just love," and he goes, "Well, then, why do you think the polling so low?" He goes, "Because we're we're doing a bad job of conveying of who won this." All two of them. She said wrong, but our vice president said the word wrong, which isn't even a word. Our vice president can't even speak mm, proper English. You know, and, and
0: it, well. it, you know, I couldn't criticize Kamala Harris for um, if, if that's true. And again, I didn't see the interview. But if she said something like that, I'm in no position and I can't I can't throw stones for my glass house. I make I make mistakes w- when I'm speaking to people and I hope people don't hold it against me. I'm not I'm not perfect. I'm not artificial intelligence. It's natural intelligence, which means I'm human, so occasionally I'll say something that might be incorrect or in, improper English, but don't uh don't be so don't be so hard on the vice president. I think she's doing the best she can.
2: Speaking of AI Bob, you know, if they plan on fooling us down the road, in regards to a, a lot of these Democrats that are in office, including her, then they're going to have to come up with AU, artificial unintelligence, if they want us to believe it's really them speaking.
0: By. Well, didn't Kellyanne Conway already develop that? I thought Kellyanne Conway came up with with that uh, less than 48 hours into the uh, Queens Developers Administration. I did she not said. know
2: that she, she did. Well, good for her.
0: Well, she called it something else, but you know, alternative oh, facts is what she called it. But, oh, oh. Yeah, so no, that's already been invented. That was, uh, I think, the uh, trailblazing bra- trail research was done by the Queens Developers Administration. By the way, is he in jail yet? I see he vi- appears to have violated the gag order now that it's been reinstated. So when will they slap him in in cuffs? When will they... Put the uh, the bracelets on the on the young man and haul him in for refusing to abide by the judge's gag order. I I don't think they will, Bob. But you know what is taking. They- I think they're afraid. I think they're afraid. If it was you or me who violated a judge's gag order, we'd be thrown in a cell so fast it'd make our heads spin.
2: Well. I think they're afraid that his polling will go sky high then. Well, <laughs> and that's, even... prob- well that's probably true.
0: I, I don't dispute yeah. that. I Two things. If they throw him in jail for refusing to be quiet uh, while his trials are underway, yes, he'll become more popular among that segment of people who think he can do no wrong, and he'll pull in... Even more millions of dollars. I I personally, this is just just a gut feeling, Dave, and that's all it is. I have nothing to back it up. I just have this sense, it's a true sense, that he wants to be put in a cell so he can show that picture and rake in another $10 million in the next 24 hours.
2: <laughs> You're right, Bob. It'd be a t-shirt. It'd be on mugs. It'd be everywhere. It's Him sick. looking through bars. Mm-hmm. It's a sick, sick society. Bob, but you need that outfit. You know what they had back in the olden days where they had the hats and the striped shirts on? He needs to have something like that.
0: Yeah. Well,
2: it, behind bars.
0: It would look good. No, I can't say that.
2: Anyway, thank you.
0: Thank you. Bob Joseph, a master of restraint in an otherwise unrestrained world. It's Monday morning. Hope you're off to a lovely start. And lovely radio, WNBF, 92.1 FM, and so on and so forth. Uh, We'll be taking more calls throughout the morning. I suspect other people will have thoughts they'd like to share. Well, maybe if you saw Kamala Harris with the big 60 Minutes interview, um, fill me in. I'm looking at one of the stories now from CBS, but I, I admit I missed the whole darn thing. And I'm kicking myself on this Monday morning.
1: From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290, also available at 92.1 FM. We sell the ultimate driving machine at Galt BMW. Free. First is WNBF your eyes. At 932,
0: this is Bob Joseph, serving your community, my community. We're all part of it. We're all in it together. 607-772-1290. Morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from?
4: John, did you miss me from Binghamton?
0: Oh, missed you. Hey uh, the the uh, original keyboard player of the NAS, which uh, did Hello
4: It's Me, uh, just died. I didn't realize that. Yeah, the the uh, singer hmm. of, of the original version of Todd Right.
1: Right huh
4: which I, which I, by I didn't know. which by the way, a this jockey from W E N E, Michael J. Raymond, uh was involved with the comeback of that record and its subsequent release as a forty five or re release as a forty five
0: you're telling me Michael J Raymond, a Binghamton disc jockey, had some role in its ultimate success?
4: Yeah, because that came, you know, that that album and the Nas were they sort of bombed out, you know, they had a lot of hype. And then I think it was in 1970, maybe late 69. I think it was in 1970 that a, a few uh, a cult of disc jockeys across the country began playing that and refused to
1: not, uh, to stop playing it. They just played it and played it and played it. and Why,
0: because the- were they getting paid? Was this a <laughs> payola case? No, no, they just thought it
4: was a good record.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I remember back in the day, way back in the day, I think before I got into radio, uh, indeed, the uh, DJs, announcers, actually had some input into what's pl- being played now. None. Zero. Well, It's all, it's all corporate.
4: Yeah. There was a tip sheet run, ran run out of Buffalo, uh, called Mickey turntable. It was a husband and wife team. Uh, Mickey was, it was a mimeographed, uh, maybe 10 pages that came out every week and would tell the disc jockeys, uh, what they thought they should play. And, uh. Mickey was featured in a dance, game. it was nothing obscene uh, to get the disc jockey's attention when the mimeograph sheets came into the station. I think he got 200 out. He was sort of like a, uh, a, a lesser version than Cal Rudman. But anyway, he uh, he was working with them to uh, get that uh, Hello, It's Me come back underway.
0: Oh, thanks to- for mentioning Mickey Turntable. I see... There are a lot of uh, online discussions about Mickey Turntable back in the day, and I I had not heard about it. But you're right, and it um, this one internet discussion board mentions that there were uh, quite a few other tip sheets, and there's some people who were in radio in upstate New York. This is hmm, I I had no idea. Mickey yeah. Turntable sounds like a good air name. Yeah, yeah. And, Either uh, that yeah. or the Grease Man. Well, he's doing those uh Oh things. yeah, I saw <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how how far he's fallen. You know, John, <laughs> even I haven't gotten to that point. I'm I'm not saying by the way, there's there's absolutely no shame in doing what he's doing. I mean, you know, even even if it's just a little bit of cash, it's still cash. I mean, Grease Man needs new shoes, but you know, yeah, at some point, you'll probably see me doing the same thing, and you'll probably say, gee, Bob was uh, on top of the world on October 30th, and now look, Thanksgiving, and he's doing these, um, what do they call them, um, things where people write in, they pay you like 50 bucks to do some sort of, is it a phone greeting, or what, what
4: is it, no, you know, just a video? It's a video. It's like a, you know, it's like uh, this is John Lennon, and yeah. you really got to listen to W uh, NBF. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well,
0: remember, there's actually a real John Lennon uh, ID over at the um, SUNY Binghamton station. hmm um, yeah. I think John and Oko were on the phone, and I, if I'm not mistaken, they. I think john said something and you're listening to whrw binghampton
4: well <laughs> I, yeah uh perry cooper had a a ton of them uh he was uh, murray the k's go for so he had the presence of mind I, I give it to him that he had everybody uh he had mick jagger and john lennon uh cut these things you know you got to listen to the perry cooper show but didn't didn't say any call letters because there was no perry cooper show at the time but he had a Geez, he had everybody and everybody, and he had great black and white photos, which served him well when he went to Atlantic Records because he, he put those in his office. And Julian Julian Lennon came in and said, wow, this guy is my <laughs> old man, you know?
0: Well, there were there were a few people in the radio business back in the day before the Beatles really became hot who either just through luck or happenstance or whatever did a few things. That, uh, you know, looking back, as, as you look back a decade or even five decades later, and you say, man, they were brilliant. They must have known that the Beatles were going to be the biggest act ever. And yeah. in, in many of those cases, it was um, maybe a gut feeling or in some cases dumb luck. But uh, some, some people sure looked good as, as you, um, you know, look back and say, wow they they managed to get um wasn't there one radio station there was a guy who who gave uh, each member of the beatles a radio station t-shirt and i think if the story is right i think john and paul or whatever after like a photo shoot they um they said oh here are your t-shirts back and the guy said oh no they're yours and so ultimately in future appearances uh, around the U.S. or maybe around the world, they, one or more of the Beatles were appearing in, uh, and I, I don't know if it was WMCA or whatever, but some, some station, some guy had the good fortune to, to give them probably you know, T-shirts that cost about 70 cents to produce and they wound up getting $7 million worth of free publicity for the station.
4: Well, the disc jockeys from the fifties into the mid sixties, maybe seventies, were the stars. The musical acts were at the behest of the disc jockeys who ran the shows, and you know Dick Clark's Caravan of Stars and all that. But I think you may be referring to Peter Noon, because he had a WMCA Good Guy Sweatshirt on the cover of one of those albums. That that may be it. But uh, they were all breathing down their neck, and I told you the panic that Dick Clark uh, went through when the Beatles came out. He panicked. Uh, he had just moved the, the, uh, the program was moved from Philadelphia to, to LA. and he formed, uh, and it, he was seeing his caravan of stars uh, go down the tubes. He, for, he found a group from Long Island and named them the American Beatles. And they were a pre-existing band. I think they were mostly Italian guys. And he did a tour of Mexico City and the, and the South American countries to see if they would fly. And then he was going to bring them back here. So he, uh, he uh, had a, uh, was it, lived in great fear of the Beatles.
0: Those were the days, my friend.
4: You know, I forgot what I was going to talk about. Yeah, it'll probably hold wow. till
0: tomorrow, though. That—that's that,
4: what happens, Bob. <laughs> I know. And and by the way, those sewer bills are getting high. Okay, I'll
0: see you. <laughs> thanks, John. To be continued. To be continued. That's the beauty of live radio. We all learn. We also stay tuned because there's always tomorrow. Six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety. Bob Joseph, Binghamton, now WNBF. WNBF Weather, the best weather in the business. Nobody brings you better weather than WNBF on the cutting edge of the weather. Thanks to the National Weather Service, the world's best weather forecasting outfit. And here it is, rain today, then a chance of showers this afternoon. High 50, cloudy tonight. To start with some showers, then becoming partly cloudy, low 32. I see no reference to snow. Mostly sunny tomorrow, high 46. Tomorrow night, rain, showers, and snow showers. Ooh. Low 32, and then rain and snow showers Wednesday, high 44. Right now, it's 50. That's 10 Celsius. WNBF 944. Back to the phones. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from?
5: Hey Bob, it's Donald Lepardo. I didn't
0: think you'd pick right up. <laughs> Hi, you're on the air. Congratulations. You have won a dollar twenty nine from wow. the WNBF Cash Vault. Jeez. I thought
5: you'd be <laughs> screening these calls first. That's <laughs> fine. No, this is
0: this is more fun. This is called wow.
5: nice. Live
0: Live Radio the Way Marconi wanted it to be. Gotcha.
5: Well, I just thought I'd check in and yeah, thank talk you. about the History Museum if you'd like and I would tell you like what I to. know and yeah. Yeah, well, you know what my hopes are
0: anyway. All right. Well, we did have uh, some extended discussions about the museum at 40 Washington mm-hmm. Avenue on Friday's program. I invited the Broome mm-hmm. County historian, Roger mm-hmm. Luther, to be here. And we also spoke with the executive director of the museum. And mm-hmm. so they, they gave us uh, their input. So... Uh-huh. At the moment, we're still operating under the, uh, well, with the concern that the IBM Endicott collection may be returned soon mm. to IBM. What do you know, or what have you learned over the last few days?
5: Well, I can tell you how I got involved with this, and I was also hearing some rumors. I think there were you know, some people who wanted to share more information than they felt comfortable with, and. So, I sort of heard that it's going on because of my involvement, of course, in historic preservation. And then I had put some state resources into that second floor for the Endicott Johnson collection. But so my first call was to Roger Luther as the county historian. I wanted to know had he heard anything, and he had not. So I sort of left it off to him to do some exploring. And I believe he, he may have mentioned it on, on your program on Friday, where he called the director or the president of the board, to see what was going on and didn't hear that, hear anything. He didn't hear that there was an issue or anything that we needed to be worried about. So I kind of set it aside and kept hearing these rumors, which is why I think um, Roger decided to just put it on the Facebook, and all of a sudden all this information with a lot more detail came. So I think I've been able to piece together from talking to some of the members of the board. I have not spoken to Ted Warner at yet, but I think what happened here is not unlike what happened to a lot of cultural institutions around, around the state, which is during COVID, um, you know, there was just a drop-off in revenues, just a, a, a lot of circumstances that put them under stress. We've lost a lot of organizations because they weren't able to be financially viable, and I think that's what's happened here. What's unfortunate, though, is that at this very same time, government resources were coming to us to help these very organizations. I mean, I've gotten assistance for, you know, the Arts Council and the the Opera, and you know, the Philharmonic. So they really, I think, may not have been aware of resources that were available, not just through COVID recovery, but through all of us who are, you know, deeply committed to, uh, you know, the saving this collection. So I've put the word out that I'm more than willing to gather up community members, government officials and you know just sort of pool together, see what kind of resources we can come together to help help them stay viable. So I think it's financial. Also I understand they had some problems with it's an old building. You know, they had to do expensive repairs. They need more expensive repairs. I think it just got a little past them. Hopefully we can get this on the right. One, you need to be aware of, you know, potential resources, support in the community, and you know, we just have to, you know, loop them in. My gripe is that this really needed to be a public conversation. This is a public good, a public value, and so all of us you know, want to help, and we, we would have been way more engaged had we been asked.
0: Well, it seems to me that at this point, and I I know everybody has been waiting to hear from Ted Warner yeah. about what exactly is going on. Some people are mm-hmm. saying... That mr warner and uh a few people that uh, ostensibly were handpicked by him to be on the board mm-hmm. they they have their own plan and they're going about yeah. this and they um use the proxy vote process ultimately mm-hmm. to sure. you know at an emergency meeting that not all board members even knew that there was mm-hmm. going to be a vote so it it just seems to me that that this was intended to go through and to be conducted, I'll say secretly, and that the Mm -hmm. IBM Endicott collection would be gone before anybody outside of the organization knew what happened.
5: Yeah, there's a lot of conversation about the process and how they went about it. I'm going to assume um, that they were feeling like they had no other option. I'm going to look uh, on the best of it, and, you know, people can get into the into the specifics of how this evolved. I'm sort of coming in saying, look, however you thought you got to this place, uh, give us a chance to be helpful. If, it, if it's financial, let us help you sort that out. And then for future reference, we are here to help for the, for the long haul. So, so, yeah, I'm just going to assume that they really didn't feel they had any other option.
0: I think um, anybody is going to try to resort to legal action to block the – uh, imminent removal Of the IBM Endicott collection Until oh. until there can be a public discussion Now it's a private organization sure. But it's a, a private organization mm-hmm. That's received state funding So it seems to well. me Even though that funding wasn't specifically For the IBM Endicott collection mm-hmm. Seems mm-hmm. to me that there's at least Some sort of moral obligation mm-hmm. To well, well as well as a courtesy to the community To explain what's going on And mm-hmm. I know f- just from talking to people Thursday and Friday, there's there's a fear that mm-hmm. as soon as IBM can make arrangements for the trucks and the crews to pack up the the uh, priceless stuff, that that they'll do it, and and then all all we'll be able to do is is uh, talk about the IBM Endicott Collection in the past tense and how nice it mm-hmm. was when it was here for a decade.
5: Yeah, I don't have the feeling it's imminent. I think we managed to interrupt the process before it became imminent, before the arrangements were made. I think IBM—I'm just speculating—was at the point where they were thinking, "Okay, what are we going to do next?" You know, and, and that's when you know we have to step in and say, "All right, hold on, give us a chance." And I don't think um, this thing is this is inevitable. I mean, honestly, give us a chance. If we can't help, well, that's one thing. Um, but. There are also, you know, other institutions locally who might have liked to get a shot if it were, uh, you know, if, if, if it came to the fact where they couldn't maintain it in that facility. So, so you're right. Certainly a public conversation, but I'm optimistic Call the people
0: about at Oakdale Commons. It. They could probably <laughs> find – I'm serious. Yes. I'm serious. I'm just thinking out loud. Sure. They're local it's families. They They are families who – who uh, certainly understand yes. the history, and they could probably find some space. There yeah. has to be a certain amount of unallocated space at the revitalized uh-huh. Oakdale Commons. It seems like that would be yet another reason for people to make the Oakdale Commons a destination. Uh-huh.
5: Sure, or even the on Campus, which was purchased exactly. and being refurbished. So, yes, we haven't even gotten that. That would be the next. Options. All right. Well, be okay, keep it local. But no, I'm I'm optimistic about this because So well, will I'm you write you?
0: will you write a a letter to the head of IBM in Armonk yeah. and and let let the people in Armonk know that just because they've been advised by a certified letter from the museum that they want to get rid of the stuff that there are people sure. in the community who don't mm-hmm. want to see it go.
5: Well, honestly, the group is going to have to be the one to reel that back to say hang on a second we'd like to put a hold on that until we have this public conversation it's really not my place to over come over a a, you know a duly embodied group however you you
0: represent the community in in the state legislature
5: i understand you've provide you've helped
0: provide money to the institution
5: of course course, Bob. my first uh, opportunity is to say we're here to help and we don't want to have to go to that extent if that help is accepted, and I've gotten the impression uh, that there is a willingness to to sit down with some of us to go over their circumstances and see what we can do, so I'd like to. I mean, if I'm rebuffed in that idea, well, then we may have to to, to talk about reaching out to IBM. Apart from that, but I'm optimistic. I'm having uh, a good um, a good reaction so far uh, about setting up a meeting and 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 talking about um, how we might all help out with with what they're what they're doing. So that's step one. It's always My first approach, I'm here to help, and I'll get other people who want to help, and then then we'll have to talk about what we have to do next.
0: But remember, the clock is ticking. I know. Keep me posted.
5: I think it's going to be okay, but I will. I appreciate your effort to highlight this.
0: Thank you for calling in. Assemblywoman Donna Lopardo, live, local, WNBF. the station that serves you seven days a week. Coming up, we'll have more calls, more local information, more of the reasons you listen to Binghamton Now. I'm Bob Joseph, pleased to provide the information you need Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on
1: WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 AM, WNBF Binghamton. Now on 92.1 FM, W221 EJ Binghamton, a town square media station. Where news breaks first.
3: News Radio 1290, WNBF. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF News. Rain today, high near 50. Tonight, chance of showers, cloudy, then gradually becoming partly cloudy, low around 32. Mostly sunny Tuesday, with a high near 46. Traffic was stalled on a busy Binghamton roadway following a crash involving a box truck and two cars. A small Honda sedan went airborne and sideswiped another car after it was rear-ended by a truck at the intersection of Brandywine Highway and Frederick Street. The crash occurred around 2.15 p.m. on Friday. The 2013 Honda struck a tall metal utility pole before landing in a brush-covered area off the highway near a business parking lot. The car came to rest wedged between a fence and a guardrail. A man who reportedly had been in the Honda was evaluated by Binghamton Fire Medics for minor injuries. Two women who were in the other car that was struck told WNBF News they were not hurt. They said they were on heading out of Binghamton to attend a wedding in the Pittsburgh area. The women said the box truck had been traveling at a high rate of speed when it slammed into the Honda, which was stopped for a red light. The rider rental truck bore the markings of Goodness Gardens, a business based in Orange County. The truck driver was uninjured. Northbound traffic and the Brandywine heading out of downtown Binghamton was slowed to a crawl due to the crash. Cornell University administrators have dispatched campus police to a Jewish center after threatening statements against Jewish students appeared on a discussion board. Cornell President Martha Pollack said there were a series of horrendous anti-Semitic messages on Sunday threatening violence against the university's Jewish community on a website unaffiliated with the school in Ithaca and specifically naming the address of the center for Jewish living. The Cornell University Police Department is investigating and has notified the FBI of a potential hate crime. New York Governor Kathy Hochul says authorities were not sure if the threats were credible, but state police are taking steps to ensure student safety. New York City is intensifying efforts to transport migrants out of the city as its shelter system reaches capacity. City Hall confirmed the establishment of a new re-ticketing center in Manhattan where asylum seekers can get free one-way tickets to anywhere in the world. The effort is the city's latest bid to ease pressure on its shelters and finances following the arrival of more than 130,000 asylum seekers since last year. Democratic Mayor Eric Adams has begun to warn that shelters are so full that migrants will soon be forced onto the street as winter approaches. Tent Manufacturing Operations said a Broome County production facility could expand significantly as a new owner of the business plans for growth. Record Group acquired the Eureka Military and Commercial Tent units in Conklin from Johnson Outdoors early this year. The event tent party line by Eureka is now being marketed by Intentional Systems. Carol Cundy, senior sales and marketing manager, said about 90 people are working at the Conklin Road operation. She said the company is adding positions as they grow and evolve. Kundi says the goal of the new owners is to at least double the number of employees at the local facility over the next two or three years. She said the owners are committed to maintaining the manufacturing operation in Conklin. Cundy said the plan is to expand locally as the business grows. Many of the people employed at the production facility have worked at the plant just east of Binghamton for decades. The site at 625 Conklin Road was home to the Eureka Camping Center retail store for more than half a century. The shop that sold tents and other outdoor outdoor gear was closed three years ago. New York State Police are conducting impaired driving and underage drinking initiatives through Wednesday, funded by the Governor's Traffic Safety Committee. New York State Police note that Halloween can be a great family fun, but it can also be deadly when someone makes the wrong decision to drink and drive. Troopers will be highly visible throughout the Halloween weekend, looking for impaired and reckless drivers. Drivers should exercise extreme caution, especially on the local roads, as children and their parents will be out enjoying the weekend festivities. Motorists can expect a number of sobriety checkpoints and additional DWI patrols. Law enforcement will also be looking for motorists who are using their phones and other electronic devices while behind the wheel. Drivers should also remember to move over for stopped emergency and hazard vehicles stopped on the side of the road. New York State Police will also be targeting the illegal sale of alcohol to minors through underage drinker enforcement details statewide. Troopers will be using both Mark State Police vehicles and concealed identity traffic enforcement vehicles as part of this crackdown in order to more easily identify motorists who are violating the law. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF.
0: WNBF Live on a Monday morning. I'm Bob Joseph. Coming up, we'll have more of your phone calls. So if you have things you need to talk about, don't worry. Phone calls will be coming up shortly. We're here till noon on WNBF's Binghamton Now. We welcome back to the program Christopher Johnson. Filmmaker, Binghamton native, along with uh, producer Mariana Tosca. We have something very important to talk about that's coming up later this week in Binghamton. Mr. Johnson, welcome back. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate you having us. And Mariana, welcome to our studio.
6: Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having us. What
0: do you think of this place?
6: I think it's gorgeous. <laughs> I'd like to move in, actually.
0: <laughs> we, we, we may start to sublet. They're busy building a restaurant next door, so we have, we have microphones, music, then the restaurant, basically everything we need.
6: All you need is a laundromat, and we're all set. There
0: you go. We'll just send out. We'll just uh, call the guy from uh, down the street on Main Street, and, you know, every Tuesday and Friday morning, he'll do a pickup. Yeah, we'll be all it's set. It's really
7: the perfect work environment. I love it. Uh, yeah. I love it. You
0: know, And, and it, they have designed it to... Um, keep me from getting easily distracted. So
6: <laughs> or if, easily out. I might. Well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> this is a
0: rare opportunity where you see that the, the cage door is unlocked. Usually they lock the cage from 9 a.m. to noon and then let's hope nothing bad happens over that three-hour period or else I'll be able to do just a live broadcast. Oh, the humanity. I, I wish it was 1201 when I could get out to Court Street, but <laughs> you know, so far we've been lucky that way. Anyway, good to have you with ...with us in our uh, WNBF studio in downtown Binghamton. And there is uh, an opportunity that's coming up this week here in Binghamton... ...a screening of the World War II film, Journey to Royal, a World War II rescue mission. And Christopher Johnson, you wrote this.
7: Yeah, this is a film that's about my great-uncle. His name was Royal Stratton. He was lost at the end of the war. And there was a missing link in our family chain... And uh, it, it affected us for generations, uh, his loss. And it piqued my interest uh, when I saw my uh, great-aunt at family reunions. She was still moved at his loss, and it um, inspired me to look into what happened to him. And as we delved into trying to discover uh, how he was lost at the end of the war, uh, it led us into an extraordinary um, Unfolding of this story with his squadron. He, he served with a rescue squadron. So it was the rare instance where there was a uh, World War II veteran who, uh, you know, was involved in the war but in a capacity to save lives instead of taking lives, which was, was unique and uh, further piqued my interest. And uh, on our first interview with John Logan, we recognized as we were listening, originally I was going to write a narrative feature. Uh, you know, to sort of semi fictionalize the events, and as we were listening to the last surviving crew member that served with Royal, we we realized that the story was the veterans from the veterans, and so that changed the entire uh, goal with the picture. So Journey to Royal is really our way of preserving. Their stories, their legacy, and they intersected with some of the most pivotal turning points that brought the end of the war in the South Pacific. And uh, Royal and his squadron, the 4th Emergency Rescue Squadron, was central to that. And it was miraculous to hear about the different people. Well, when I...
6: I'm just going to jump in here really quickly. Uh, When I had heard the story uh, from Chris about his great uncle's service and this particular rescue squadron that flew over 6,000 flying hours and the... I think it was 892 rescue missions that they flew, and they saved the lives of 576 men. These were all kids. They were just a group of kids between the ages of 18 and 22. And they were out in the middle of the South Pacific, and they um, had—what's the term? They had—
7: You know, we're accustomed to technology. You're sitting behind a bank of computers here. There's radar, there's GPS. We don't have to think about how to get to the grocery store or home for that matter. And you take uh, basically uh, a tin can with radial engines on it, with a compass and a navigator. And they were able to do dead reckoning and figure out where in this vast ocean, there were people floating and pluck them out of the ocean and rescue them, so but the, the thing that 's most intri- intriguing to me
6: is that they were in arguably the most dangerous theater of the South Pacific, and they were flying mostly without armament because they had to uh, remove the machine guns that they had in their planes so that they could make room for the wounded they would be picking up so here are these group of really young men. Uh, s- setting out to save the lives of, of these guys. And they did it. They flew into danger um, it, it, with a specific um, plan and desire to, to save lives instead of take them. And so when I heard these statistics and I heard about these guys, I said, I want in. I want to be part of uh, preserving this history. And uh, so I came on board to produce.
7: And so the film itself, uh, even though centrally... My great uncle's what started us on this journey. This is a love letter to uh, our men and women in service. Uh, it doesn't matter which department, you know, division of the military you're in. Uh, the reason we're having the screening COVID cut short our ability. Well, it it totally annihilated our ability to to tour the film and share it with veterans. So this is our opportunity to pay homage to not only uh, the people in the in the film. You know to to carry forward their legacy and share their stories but it's to honor uh, and celebrate uh, all of our women and men in service today and and past and present really uh, and it's on november 2nd at the helen foley theater which has the distinction of being the theater uh, and the school where rod serling uh, went to school and, and people may know rod serling's name because he was the the creator behind the twilight zone Writer of Planet of the Apes, other wonderful, wonderful, uh, forward-thinking pieces of work. And there's... But few people know about his military service. Exactly. Yes, he served in the 511th uh, Airborne Paratroopers. And um, he was wounded, and he received a Purple Heart. And... there's a program called the hometown heroes which uh, maybe in other communities you've driven through and you've seen banners from from lamp posts that call out different veterans from the community and celebrate and honor them and uh the southern tier veterans support group and the binghamton vet center uh colonel be- benjamin margolius and uh cory uh, cornell morris are putting together this initiative where we're going to be celebrating Binghamton's hometown heroes. And the inaugural banner is going to be presented in front of the screening to the family of Rod Serling in honor of his service. Sounds
0: so appropriate. This will all take place on Thursday evening at Binghamton High School at the Helen Foley Theater. And although the free admissions are available, For veterans and their spouses, this is also, it's a screening that also be open to people around here. So anybody who is intrigued by the story you're describing will have an opportunity on Thursday evening to see Journey to Royal.
7: Yeah, the the tickets are available uh, in advance at journeytoroyal.com. Uh, but you can purchase them at the door. And veterans, as, as you mentioned, Bob, veterans and their spouses are certainly free. Uh, but if you'd like to help us sponsor some of those seats for those veterans, um, you, can, you can also do that at journeytoroyal.com. Now
0: tell me about how this actually, the screening came to be. Because I know you've had a lot of assistance from local people and local sponsors to make this a reality.
7: It's true. Much like filmmaking, much like the military, it's really a community effort, uh, and it, it wouldn't happen without our sponsors and supporters, and WBNG and Security Mutual Life are our two primary sponsors of the screening, uh, but the screening is also supported by the Southern Tier Veterans Support Group, uh, Binghamton Vet Center, Clear Path for Veterans, uh, Bob Carr Printing and, and Mailing. Uh, the B- Binghamton Black Bears have been promoting it at their games, and of course the. The Rod Serling School of Fine Arts, the Helen Foley Theater, um, Larry Cassidy. and Larry
8: Cassidy
6: has his, been extraordinary. Yeah, um, he's he's just been absolutely fantastic. I wanted to just uh, jump back for a second and just mention the film isn't um, solely about Royal Stratton. The the other interviewees in the film were all. Uh, people who touched on specific events that were happening towards the end of the war. So we were able to interview um, a survivor of the USS Indianapolis. We were able to interview the man who flew the surrender documents to have the... um,
7: uh, to for the representative representative of the Emperor of Japan 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 to sign on the USS Missouri.
6: So there, it, it's really an incredible history lesson for anyone who is interested in military history or, or world history. Um, Chris and I will be doing a Q&A after the screening, uh, probably about a half hour, for uh, anyone who wants to ask any questions about uh, the experience, the filmmaking experience. So um, so it's really um, an opportunity for us to kind of share um our our filmmaking process and also some of the information that didn't make it into the cut of the film, uh, because, you know, we had, what, over
7: 600 hours? Well, 600 pages. So, Bob, you know, as you know, you you go film the interviews, and there's always much more than you end up with in the picture. Uh, So transcribed, that was 600 pages. Uh, We could do a 10-part series on the interviews that we got from the picture, and that 600 pages had to be cut down to 100 pages for the format for the distributor for the picture to be an hour and a half and the the hardest part is knowing what you, I mean certainly we love what's in the film, but knowing, knowing all the stories that have been left out and in fact to that end we're, we're exploring the idea of doing a, a kind of a band of brothers about the rescue squadron, we're working on that now uh, to pitch, but yeah it, there there is so much to share uh, and all the, the distinction that Mariana's is making is that yes it's not all about Royal Stratton but all of these people intersected with the rescue squadron and those events that brought about the end of the war and the the, the gentlemen that had been in the ocean for 5 days from the USS Indianapolis. Lyle
6: Umenhofer right uh, he was one of my favorite interviewees i instantly fell in love with him we spent an, an entire day with him in his home listening to him recount that experience and you know my gosh I was sitting there just he could not have been more humble and um he he didn't he didn't express his experience as anything particularly you know laudatory he just thought it was he was doing his job and he happened to get hit by two torpedoes that night and you know, he fell into the water, and uh, it was roughly midnight when that happened. And he spent the next six hours not hearing or seeing anyone, and and he was just floating in an oil slick. And then, and then it, the story just got worse from there. And the fact that he was able to survive, and that these group of I think it was 317, if I'm not mistaken, um, forgive me if I have that name that number wrong. The survivors of, of the, the survivors. Indianapolis, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
7: It's a story made famous in Jaws by Quint, the character of Quint that, that, you know, that Every, I'm sure everybody who's seen Jaws remembers that that tale of. But they got the date wrong. Yeah, in that they did movie. get the date wrong. <laughs> I'm sure Spielberg laments that to this day. Um, but I can't imagine. You know, you we go around life. You know, and, and what what's the worst thing that yeah, happens in exactly. our day? You know, <laughs> nobody here is called upon to have to.
6: I got a parking ticket. Yeah, you
7: know. float in the ocean for five days, not drink the only water available, which is filled with salt, which will make you you know make you go insane. Really? Yeah.
6: Uh, and, and just be
7: pummeled by
6: ubiquitous and sharks. Sharks
7: and, and barracuda and, and, barracuda. and, and yeah. things like that. So, I mean, we're, we're sort of going down a l- little bit of a rabbit hole because Lyle's story and in the presence of hearing that in person, it's moving to a point that's difficult to convey in any medium, whether it be film or on the radio with you. But, but these are some of the people that you'll get to hear stories f- uh, from firsthand, if you if you come join us on this evening uh, and watch the picture, it's it's a hybrid. It's it's not a full documentary. It's a documentary narrative hybrid, Bob. So um, so people that that aren't inclined to. Uh, watch documentaries there's a very uh fast-paced engaging narrative portion of the picture that brings you right in and then we segue to the 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 documentary sections for the factual parts of it for these engaging stories that propel us back into these narrative dramatizations that help uh the audience sort of be placed in the events so it heightens it and makes it feel like a mo- more of a first hand experience uh, than your traditional, you know, do- documentary channel, history channel documentary.
6: And our goal with this was threefold it was to educate, entertain, and inspire. Um, but even more importantly, we had made a promise to all these veterans that we would do our best to be the custodians of their history, to make sure that their service and experience would not be forgotten. And um, we've done our level best to honor that promise. And, sure, um, with as many
7: audiences as we can.
6: Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's why we're taking the film out. And would this, I'm sorry.
0: Would this be appropriate for younger people or, or uh, are, are some elements of this uh, perhaps too intense for, for uh, people who are uh, younger than teenagers?
7: That's a tough question to answer because audiences are so sophisticated today. What what would have been difficult for me to watch at say eight or ten years old, you know, is easily trumped on television today, right? So, my general sense of caution on this is is there's there is war-related violence, um, there there are tense adult situations, but I think safely 13 and above easily. Um, now, if if you have a particularly mature young person of 10 perhaps that, that you can sort of give some insight into what they're going to see. Um, there's nothing overtly traumatizing to look at or to experience. It just is that it is real war-related violence, and you do see some of that on the screen.
0: Well, and it occurs to me that uh, parents or guardians should then have a conversation before taking anyone, anyone under 18, uh, about the premise of this. So everyone, the parent and the younger person, can be prepared. And certainly I think parents know best if if they sense that, uh, that their son or daughter might not be well served by seeing this type of presentation to avoid it But also be prepared after the presentation to have a serious conversation. And I think, actually, I think that would be true even for adults who see it. And also, and I know sometimes, depending on where people are in their lives, there might be some adults at this point in time because of some of the sensitive subject matter who perhaps would have would be well advised to opt out in case they've been dealing with any specific trauma in their lives. This is a case where I think every individual has to make um, an informed decision about what's appropriate for you. Because if you're talking about what happened in war, you, you can't candy coat it. And there will be certainly elements that will be unsettling.
6: That's an excellent, excellent point you make. Um, uh, When we went in to interview these people um, in in all candor, I, Chris, both both of us went in with such enthusiasm uh, because we knew we were going to be um, gleaning information from the people who experienced these these things. And pretty early on, we came to realize that we had to temper that enthusiasm because uh, for a lot of these people, they were sharing with us, perhaps the most traumatic experience of their
7: life and and quite simply the worst experience of their lives. Um, some families had been, um, you know, had become separated from each other because of the trauma that war causes and the uh, inability, especially back then, you know, for world war one, I think What was it, Bob? Maybe you can help me out. Was it shell shock in World War One? War? They called it fatigue, war fatigue, and then it it became maybe it was shell shock in World War Two, and now we know that it's PTSD. And you know these traumas caused um, great rifts in families. And we had an example. This happened to us a lot, where we would go interview uh, somebody, and the family would ask if they could come along to watch the interview and after the interview the family would thank us and in one case a family that had not really spoken in any meaningful way in I think decades decades. Um, the the film and the interview was a reason for them to come together externally Uh, and after they had they had a better understanding of what had caused the problems in their family yeah exactly And so it was a healing process for them. And they thanked us, which was its a weird reversal of gratitude mm-hmm. because we were just, it was a privilege for us to be there and for those people to, to entrust us to be the custodians of their stories. Um, so that that happened more than once. Uh, and you can, as you watch the picture, it's imbued with all of that emotional charge. You, you read it, read what's going on in these veterans faces and uh it's 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 right there for you to access and perhaps in the q a we'll be able to get into a little bit more with the audiences of the collateral meaningfulness that it had with the families and our interaction with them and what it means for families to be able to express those uh pains wounds and in a healing way and come back together because the truth of it is, is this, Bob, is that we send our young people to training. We train them to go to war to to preserve our way of life, but there isn't the adequate um, training out of the military to reacclimate yourself to civilian life. You've been trained with all of these necessary, uh, well, just these necessary things, but they leave you changed forever. And unless you have a path or a hand to hold to come back into civilian life, you're not serving these young women and men um, and and, and helping them to carry on in the best way that they can. And so it leads to a lot of trauma. It leads to a lot of, um, well, frankly, you know, substance abuse and broken homes. And so part of the educational part of this is that we want to inspire families to better understand and educate themselves about what service does to you long term and how to best reacclimate not only into, you know, work life, community life, but your family life because you are forever changed.
0: The film is Journey to Royal, a World War II rescue mission. The screening will be 6.30 on Thursday evening at the Helen Foley Theater at Binghamton High School. There's more information online at journeytoroyal.com. The screening will be free for veterans and spouses, and members of the public can watch it for $10. Christopher Johnson and Mariana Tosca, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. to be here, Bob. It's 10.32. We're live and local. This is Binghamton Now on News Radio, WNBF.
1: From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290, also available at 92.1 FM. Shop Toyota, Chevy, BMW, and pre owned at GaltAuto.com.
0: Thirty-seven WNBF live on a Monday morning with Bob Joseph. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Uh,
8: Tom from Endicott.
0: Good morning. What's on your mind?
8: Hey, Bob. I just, I just, uh, I'm a a student at uh, Biggs University, audience some classes, and I, I, I assume that that you've heard that there was some type of incident at, on the campus this morning.
0: Yes, and classes okay. at Binghamton University are canceled. There is a police investigation. Uh, no danger to the campus or to the community, but indeed uh, classes today at Binghamton University have been canceled, and we will uh, be providing some more information over uh, the next couple of hours here on WNBF.
8: Yeah, and, and uh, one of the comments that I was going to make was uh, last last week I was over there and they had a a protest in front of the Bartle Library, and, and people with megaphones, and they—they they, were—they were outspoken, and and I—I uh, uh, I kind of interacted with one of the people there. But it, it's very clear to me that um, if you raise any issue to someone that doesn't believe it or doesn't want to believe it, it really doesn't make a difference because they just, as soon as I said something, they said that's not true, and I think that's that's the problem that we're going to have now is that. People are going to believe what they want to believe, and how do you how do you change that to have them be more open? That I guess it's a big concern to me.
0: It's a tremendous Everybody. concern, and people are um, on on college campuses and elsewhere around the United States and around the world. People are on edge right now, and I understand emotions, but I also am encouraging people, no matter what the situation, whether you encounter. Someone individually with whom you disagree, or if it happens to be a group of people, uh, try try to, uh, as much as possible. And I know this is easier said than done in some cases. Try to diffuse the situation because we're not going to change minds on on yeah, some of these yeah. issues. That that much, that much I know. And and I. I'm okay with that. I may not agree with some people. I'm not going to get into a shouting match. Well, let's put it this way: I will strive never to get in a shouting match with people because I haven't seen any shouting match under any circumstance that's that's productive. And so, even if somebody, if I'm out somewhere and they say something that I uh, forcefully disagree with, I'll I'll really strive not not to make things worse. Because I, I'm not saying that necessarily I'll understand where they're coming from, because in some cases I truly don't. But I'm not going to um, try to bring people around to my opinion because, look, these are deeply held views. And I think on a planet with eight billion people, we're going to have to make greater efforts to get along with each other, even, even when we disagree on some really important issues.
8: Yeah, you know, I'm just really, you know, as as an older person, I'm just really concerned about the activism in these universities and how polarized they already are. And, uh, it's just, it's just a concern because it's gotten worse. And how do you kind of dumb it down now? Uh, they, you know, you, you gotta just, people just have to, like I said, walk away and, and recognize that other people can have other opinions, but, you know, not to escalate them. And, and, and that's, you know, I, I also have followed Cornell now where you had that professor that, um, said some really terrible things and I understand he's on academic leave right now, but then there's a whole pushback, you know, Cornell's saying, why did they do that? Right. So you, you just can't win, I, I guess. <laughs> just kind of, just kind of, uh, calling today more, more that just says, I know there's a lot of good people at the university. We're all trying to get along and, uh, I I hope that everything can just calm down. That's my message.
0: Thank you. I appreciate your call. Hi, Bob.
8: Thanks
0: a lot. It's ten forty-one. WNBF with Bob Joseph. We're here for you. Uh, We encourage conversation. We're not here to um, make people think they have to agree with everything. I understand a lot of people don't agree with me. And maybe there are times when I don't agree with some people. It doesn't mean I dislike them. Not at all. So, anyway, let's, let's do our best to respect everyone. And when things happen, let's try, to the greatest extent possible, to, to show some empathy with each person. It's 1042. I'm Bob Joseph. You're listening to News Radio WNBF.